I want to share something with you that I heard in a secret place. I want to reveal to you a secret God's whispered to me. And I want you to know this. This is not something that I hope to be true or I want to be true. It's something that's already happening. Something that we're already stepping into. And listen, I'm asking you to hear this because I just don't want anyone to miss out on this. It's a new season. It's a new day. Listen to this. A fresh anointing is coming our way. Listen to this, what this is. It's a season of power and prosperity. It's a new season coming to me and you and us. Now listen, if you receive that, it's here. If you don't receive that, it's here and you're going to miss it. Let me share with you a man who saw a new season in his life through one person. And it transformed everything. This is good. This is a man who thought he was just seeing a guy he had curiosity about. And everything changed in a minute. Sometimes when we pursue who we think Jesus is, our minds are blown, and all of a sudden we're caught in something that was just a wild adventure. This man, Zacchaeus, I'm in Luke 19, was not ready for what he was about to step into, something very, very, very new. Verse 1 of Luke 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was but on the count of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him and he was Jesus was about to pass by and when Jesus came to that place he looked up and said Zacchaeus hurry and come down here for I must stay at your home today So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Verse 7, and when they saw it, everyone else, they all grumbled. They said, he has gone in to be the guest of he, a man who is a sinner. Presumably moments and maybe hours later, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord Jesus, behold, Lord the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man comes to seek and save that which was lost. The word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that even if some of us weren't realizing that there's a a, a dream lost. Some of us don't even realize that we're lost entirely. Some of us were just ready to come to a church service today, and yet you're doing a new work, something new, something so deep and rich in mercy that if we would just see it and savor it, 
It could transform everything, our very hearts, our very, our very trajectory of our lives, and everything around us would spring forth from us actually receiving a radical mercy. Help us to be a people that would receive a deep, radical mercy and spring forth with a power and a generosity that would make nations shake and find their gladness in you. Now, if you dare to agree with the prayer that I just prayed, you don't have to, but if you dare to agree with it and all the implications personally that would come upon you to agree with that, then you can say, amen. Amen? That was a lot of amens. Praise the Lord. Let's give the worship team a hand. We're going to move forward in God's word. I want you to preach a three-word sermon three times to three people around you to help me as it relates to Zacchaeus, as it relates to the springs today, November 8th, 2015. You ready for the three-word sermon? I'm going to give it to you. Mercy births generosity. Everyone say that to three people. Mercy births generosity. I'm feeling this is anointed here. You guys got it? You started believing it yet? Mercy births generosity. Lord, have mercy on this stand in Jesus' name. All right. If you're visiting today or if, you've, if you call this your home and you've been gone for a while, we're right at the end of a three-week series called Radical. Deeper root, greater fruit. Now, this has been prompted by a building opportunity that involves some money and some radical faith that all of us are in. We're going to get back to our annual tour of Genesis next week, and we'll finish out by the end of the year. But today is week three of three of Radical. Now, everyone stay with me. Today is the day where I stand before you as your brother and your pastor, and I preach from God's word with all sorts of swagger and anointing. <laughs> and then I ask you to give money to God for this building. Okay? Now, that is what's happening today. But listen, so much more is happening today. And I pray that you would capture every piece of it, that not a single person, even if you're visiting today and you're a little uncomfortable because, man, day one, they're talking about money. You know what? I think there's something for everyone in here, but it's up to you to receive it. I pray that today would be so much more, so much more radical than just that. In fact, let me just paint the picture of a conversation I envision, I've dreamed of happening a few years from now, maybe a few decades from now. And this conversation involves you starting a conversation right across the street. Let's say you're right over there at Gold's Gym, which is coming in next summer, or Evo or Mocha's and Java's, which is going in. They haven't officially signed a lease, but I've pray, I'm praying it in, okay? <laughs> and so you go up to someone and you, you got an encouraging word for them. Maybe it's a word of knowledge. Maybe you're just, you know, you, you want to pray for them. And you say, hey, you know what? Come to the Springs. Oh, that you went right across the street there? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, yeah, you'll come to the Springs. And that person, you can see reluctance on their face. They're saying, you know, that, that church, that's one of those, that, I've heard of this church before. And they're a little uncomfortable. So you do what God's called you to do. You proceed forward in the conversation, right? And they say, you know, 
that church is kind of one of the strange churches. I've heard stories about them. Are they the people that kind of, I heard someone gave away a car. Someone gave their house to a family in need. That's extreme. That's one of those radical churches. I, I, I'm interested in going to church, but maybe that's too much for me. I, I don't know if I could do all that. And you'll say to them, look, don't think that that's something that you just have to go do all in your own strength. Can you, you would not even imagine what happened to me. I just came in. I was a regular person filled with all sorts of regular perversions and worries and fears, just a regular old American. And I can't even tell you how much mercy I've received from Jesus. If you only knew, I'll just, I'll just spare you too many of the details until after church. But man, Jesus had so much radical mercy on me that I could not help but just be generous. I've done a few things myself, but look, this story is going to be your story too. But just start with coming and enjoying the mercy of God. And look, they're going to cross the street with you. And the story is going to continue to spring forth. I pray that today would be a day that would set in motion conversations like that. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity to do some things that are pivotal in our church's history. We're going to talk very specific about that at the end of service today with the video that we'll close with. But I think there's a heart of rooted power and radical gospel things happening in us as a people. And it is a new season. There is a fresh anointing. And I ain't lying to you. I don't want you to miss it. What kind of people are we here at the Springs? We're a strange people who've received a strange mercy from the risen Jesus. And mercy births generosity. I want to talk about mercy, and I want to talk about generosity as it relates to this story with Zacchaeus. We need to get things in order. It doesn't say generosity births mercy. I said mercy births generosity. And listen, I pray that today that God's word would do what it alone can do, and he would speak in ways that he alone could speak beyond my words to do something so radical inside you that no longer would you just be giving to God of your time or your talent or your treasure, which is the money that you think is, all belongs to you, okay? You wouldn't just give of your resources to the proportion of your comfort, but that you would give from now on and forevermore in proportion to mercy received which is an indefinite, which is an infinite and powerful thing that you can't try to do enough of, and I can't either. It's a supernatural prosperity that's already happening, and I wish upon you today. I dare you to dig deeply with me into God's word. I'm going to read back through some of these verses. Jesus entered Jericho, verse 1 of Luke 19. And he was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Stop there for a minute. Chief tax collector and was rich. As you'll see from later in this scripture, they called him a sinner. That was an understatement. And any of you who actually pay taxes can kind of connect with that. Yeah, yeah, taxes are evil, right? No, I thank God for taxes. I love living in this country. But if you work for the IRS, don't take this the wrong way. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say 
go be Jesus while working for the IRS because the IRS has some problems here. The IRS is bad, but in comparison with like the way our nation started. But Roman tax collectors from 2,000 years ago, like a chief tax collector that Zacchaeus was, he was bad in comparison with bad, bad. Like in all of history, bad. Let me just give you an example. Here's a custom that happened. If a man or a family couldn't pay their ridiculous taxes to Caesar, a man like Zacchaeus would open the door, bust it open, say, your, your taxes are due right now. IRS doesn't do that. He'd say they're due right now. And if you couldn't pay him, he would take your oldest daughter and sell her into slavery or prostitution. So this is the man Zacchaeus who is wanting to know what Jesus is like. This man, this wicked man is approaching Jesus. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, if any man or woman is ever seeking to see, see who Jesus is, I have two things to say about that. Number one, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Because you and me and every person is every bit as wicked as Zacchaeus. And if you don't agree with that, that's a picture of how wicked you are. Because we don't, we don't want to admit it. It's been so much my, like my life. I'll, I'll whitewash all of my sin. And yet, I'm just as wicked as Zacchaeus and just as loved. And if I am to be brought to Jesus in my state of deception and wickedness, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to draw me to him. So if any man seeks to see who Jesus is, I pray, number two, that they would see him in your life. That they would prop themselves up and look, in, and look at your life and say, Man, what kind of person is this? What kind of giver is this? What kind of generous person is this person with their time? Are they just a normal person? I want to know who is this person. I pray that they would seek to see who Jesus is and they would see him in you. That's my prayer for me. That's what Zacchaeus was doing. Verse four. So he ran on ahead and climbed. It says he was small in stature. And that's why he had to climb a sycamore tree. Uh, other theologians say that he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Um, you had to have grown up in kids' church to know what that joke was. It's a, send your kids to kids' church, and they'll know the inside jokes. It's a song. I don't, I'm going to stop there. Anyway, it goes on. So he's up in a tree, right? He's passing by. He's protected. He's just, he's a spectator. I just want to be comfortable up here in this tree. I want to see what's going on from afar. Kind of like how sometimes we come to church. I just want to sit here and see what's happening here. I hope someone doesn't like make me feel uncomfortable. Well, that's just what Jesus did here. He walks by. Zacchaeus! What the, how does he know my name? I'm coming to your house tonight. Imagine if that happened now. Hey, I'm coming to your house tonight. There won't be any time for you to clean up your Maxim magazine that's on the end table or your Cosmo later or whatever it is. There will be no time to erase all the history in your browser or delete that status that you should not have posted. There's no time. I'm coming right now. If you were Zacchaeus, you would be deathly uncomfortable because you know you. 
And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now, that doesn't add up to me. I mean, it's cool to be known, but when it relates to my sin as well, like, okay, he knows my name, he must also know that, I don't, you know? He had to be uncomfortable, but there's something about the mercy of Jesus that's a mystery here that would provide him this supernatural capability to be joyful. And if you've ever had a taste of the mercy of God, knowing that he has all the right to judge you harshly and yet loves you intensely, you would know how this adds up. He knows you. He knows how wicked you are, and yet there's this joy in you. He loves you. Let me tell you, people don't love you. When I say that, I mean like your, your friends and family. They don't love you. They don't really love you. And some of you are like, man, I just invited these people today. Look, look it. <laughs> they don't necessarily really love you. They love who they think you are. Only God fully knows you and yet fully loves you tenderly, sacrificially. He knows every wicked thought that's ever stewed in your mind. Every wrong word that slipped out of your tongue that you couldn't take back. Every regrettable action that you've tried ever so shrewdly to hide and conceal. And yet he loves you so much that he wants to get in your business and shake you around a little bit and say, hey, and give you a hug and a kiss, and another kiss, and another kiss, and say, I love you. I care for you so much. Stop. Slow down. And tell you how much he loves you. And he's proven it, his affections for you. By on the pinnacle of history, he died for you on the cross to pay the penalty for all the things that you would try to hide and conceal. Mercy. Love. No one knows you like he, he knows you. He loves you richly. He knows you precisely. This is the gospel that Zacchaeus was having to deal with here. He didn't necessarily sign up, with, sign up for it, and all of a sudden, he's in the middle of it. Verse 7, and then when they saw it, they grumbled, and he's gone in, to be in with a sinner, And again, there's a strange break between verse 7 and verse 8. I assume that it was several hours. Something happened with this man. It's presumed that he stood up, it says in verse 8, after some time, it says he stood up probably in the house. Between verse 7 and 8, I have to remind you about my sermon from two weeks ago. Radical devotion. What would it take for you to truly sit at Jesus' feet? And what would transform in your life if you dared to do so? Don't don't try your hand at your best effort at radical relationship in growth groups or radical generosity with church stuff without daring to sit at his feet with radical devotion. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. And after a certain amount of time in the presence of Jesus, it says, verse 8, he stood up and said to the Lord, behold, God, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll return it fourfold. Now, in initially doing the math there, I think it's very likely that he probably gave away everything. He was surrendering everything to Jesus. 
And Jesus' response, verse 9, Today salvation has come upon this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. Salvation has come. Zacchaeus, caught dead in his sin, spends time with Jesus, surrenders his whole life, all his money to Jesus. Jesus says, salvation has come. That's the progression. But in the midst of that progression, I have a very important question to ask, that if you ask yourself this very honestly, and if you see this the way the Bible declares it, it'll change everything. A question about Zacchaeus and as it relates to you. Did Zacchaeus become saved because he gave? Or did Zacchaeus give because he became saved? That's very important. That's the di- that question and how you answer it is the difference between faith in Jesus and every other dead and false religion in the world. False religions that I've tried to live out. Me-centered religiosity. Do all this to please God. Perform for God. Try to, to do enough good things and say sorry enough. And then maybe I'll be forgiven. Then maybe I'll be saved. Man, I need to give some money now and then maybe I'll be all right with God. What if you were so radically transformed by mercy that it was 100% freedom, prosperity, generosity, Mercy births generosity. And if you see the depth of the mercy here, it'll change everything. He began to give because he already received salvation. In my life, I've received an incredible amount of mercy. Man, over 18 years ago now, I became really curious about who Jesus is, partially in seeing my times where I would go over and over and over and over again back into the same sins, and I really earnestly did try not to. Zacchaeus took money that was not his. I took things from young women that weren't mine, and I couldn't stop. I tried. I tried to be a good boy. I couldn't stop. And I wanted to know, something in me said, is there anything real about this whole faith thing? And yet, I would always keep a safe distance and just kind of wonder until Jesus paraded my way, sending his power into a friend of mine that I used to smoke with at the bus stop in middle school. I get to high school and this guy, Josh, totally different. And I was wanting to know. I came to, to see who Jesus was in this guy because he kept talking about Jesus and I had somewhat of a paradigm for that. But I want to know why is Josh so different and why does he keep bugging me about this Bible study or growth group or whatever we bug people about. He kept inviting me to this on, on-campus Bible study in high school. And when I was seeking perverse things, Jesus was seeking a perverse man like me, much like he had sought Zacchaeus. In in, in essence, Jesus called my name and said, I know what you did. 
But more than you know anything, I know who you are. And I love you. When that revelation came upon me and seeing the Bible opened up and the, 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 the red letters about what life we're supposed to live and who Jesus says he is and how, the way we should be, in that Bible study, when that happened, I realized this is more than just you know, words on a page. This is showing me a mercy that I need more than anything. And since that day, I said, God, I want, I want to give everything to you. Whatever you have for me, whatever gifts, passions, whatever you have for me, I want to give it all to you. Please, before I die, please make something of me that helps you. And he's still working on me. And he's still doing that. And he's still calling me to radical things. When I, fast forward 18 years now, when, when I sense God saying, okay, here's a building opportunity, but I want to do something way deeper in this. I sense God saying, there's going to be a series called Radical. And Peter, you're the one who's, who I'm going to work primarily radically in. And I'm like, okay, God, yeah, I'm all for it, yeah. Well, thank God God helps us in life with just a little bit of ignorance because if we knew everything he was doing, we probably wouldn't enter, enter into it. And that goes with a lot of things, marriage, kids, a lot of things, right? <laughs> if we knew just how difficult his provision was, right? So get into this series and just this week, God did some things where he was pulling junk out of my heart. And part of me was like, man, I'm so ashamed that after 18 years of walking with you, there's still this selfishness. There's still this insecurity. There's still this ugly attitudes towards other people. I'm ashamed. But you know the thing that superseded my shame was just the mercy of God that he saw it there. He wasn't ashamed of it. He was aware of it the whole time. And he allowed me to be the pastor all this time. And he was pulling it radically out of me. And there's certain implications that I've shared with some friends uh, about things that happen in my family as a result that are pretty miraculous and cool. God is doing a radical work in me. And he's doing a radical work in this church. Now I want to share with you, I want to kind of open up the family business to you a little bit with our church's money for a second. I've heard statistics that... uh, that uh, of your committed members in the average American church, most committed members don't tithe, which is a biblical principle that we believe in this church is a, is a, a necessary minimum for New Testament giving. It's, it means one-tenth. But it's, statistics show that most people who are committed to your church don't even do that. And, and you know what? To do it, 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 is, it needs, you need something radical to happen in your heart. But I mean, that's what church and the gospel is. In most churches, you know, it doesn't happen. For years, I didn't really pay attention. Because here's what I thought. I thought in my, in my late 20s leading this church, um, I thought, you know, if I don't pay attention to the finances, that's okay, because that's awkward. I don't want to get, pers- you know, into people's personal business. And I realized how, realized how foolish that was. That if I really care about discipleship, and God's called me to lead and steward this church, Finances are a part of our devotion. You start getting into sex and finances and getting, getting real with each other, that's where radical things start happening in human lives. And when I really started to see things, I'll, I'll tell you what right now, we are abnormal and unusual. 
most of our committed givers are tithers, joyful tithers. We're, we're the opposite. But listen, when I read things like this, I have a, a passion and a desire for something even more than above average. I want to see something radical. I want to see people not, not giving above average, but giving in proportion to infinite mercy received. He's purifying me. He's purifying my family to do something more radical. He's purifying our church. I have a vision of seeing strange, wonderful, unusual things spring forth from our midst that we can't contain, that this city can't contain. And it starts with us. Mercy births generosity. You know, elsewhere, Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. You know, I know how much I've been forgiven for. And that's why it's hard for me to contain some of my strange and unusual passion that I make people feel awkward with sometimes. I pray that today you wouldn't just try to be more passionate, but that you'd have a a deeper understanding of the root of mercy that's so radically upon you. You know, you give to what you love. I hope you love what's happening in this church. And I hope you see the mercy upon you in your life to be able to be one of the people who participates it. I, I sure do. So when I get complaining about how hard it is to lead things, God reminds me, don't forget it's a privilege to be a part of this church, Peter. I hope you see the mercy of Jesus' love upon you in, in your life and in your position in life right now. I hope you give to what you love. Imagine the father that said, hey, I love my kids, but you know, I just can't support them. Being a dad, I would question that man's affection, rightly. And that's why the average, you know, church attender thing that's all too normal for the American church, Jesus radically wants to purify that in us. We don't just attend, we're disciples. We're radical. And you know what? Don't try to be radical. Receive his mercy. Mercy births generosity. I'm going to say something. You have to follow, follow with me here. I believe that God wants to make everyone in this room here rich. No. Track with me. If you know Jesus, you are rich. Far more than Donald Trump could ever boast about, you're way richer than that dude. He needs your generosity if you know Jesus. You need to pray for him and everyone else. If you know Jesus, you are immensely rich. Now, I didn't say that you don't need to get free from a poverty spirit if you know Jesus. You may very well. But let me tell you, you are rich if you know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, God wants to make you rich 
with mercy. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 2, a few verses from here. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even when, when Zacchaeus was still a wicked tax collector, defrauding families, even when you were in that worst spot, clicking on that site that you wished you wouldn't have clicked on, even in the darkest moment, his richness is upon you. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with him who is seated with with the heavenly father. You've been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches in his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And even this faith is not your own. It is a gift of God. God wants to make everyone rich in here. And when you see the riches of his mercy that's available to you, which is so much better than everything else that you might be worrying about in your daily schedule, the things that you don't have are nothing in comparison to the riches that he has for you. And therefore, instead of wishing you had something else, you could give what you have and he could continue to grow in that. That's prosperity, friends. That's 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 something we will never apologize for. God wants to make us rich. If you've never received the gospel that Jesus has given unto you a mercy that only he could give because only he lived the life that you should have lived and only he, instead of receiving the due reward for a perfect life, only he has died the death that you should have died and he's done it in your place. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead so that all his riches, he could, indis- he, could, he could give to anyone who would receive. If you've never seen your life transformed by the mercy of God, you've never had your own Zacchaeus moment caught where you are. Even as you're sitting here right now, I'm going to ask you, pray to God. Say, God, have mercy on me. Even as you're looking at me, in the eyes, and you're sitting in a church seat, and I'm standing on a church platform, just pray to him. Say, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, make me new. I believe you. You are the Son of God. You raised again from the dead. Just pray that. I'll tell you what. It's scandalously simple. You, you can be saved right now. You can have it said of you. Today, salvation has come upon this house and every devil in hell that tries to get in the way of the assurance that the Holy Spirit is bringing you in this moment, I bind in the name of Jesus. Mercy, fully received. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, today is the day where you give of your service and sacrifice of your money. I'm not gonna say, hey, if you just came here, if you haven't been a part of this church for a while, don't, don't regard this video in the giving. No, no, no. If you just prayed that prayer and you, today is your first day, right now you can participate in this. And I want to be as appropriately sensitive to new people as I can. This is not me or any obligation. But no matter where you've come from, you can participate by mercy and generosity in the kingdom of God today. If you just prayed that prayer, 
from now on with your life, your money, your time, give in proportion to mercy received and not to comfort or anything else. Now, if you prayed that prayer before today, like in the last hundred years or so, give in proportion to mercy received. Now, I'm going to share with you some exciting stuff. I asked my staff to give their pledges a week before all of us, which we're turning in our pledges next week, as you'll see from this video. I've asked my staff to, to turn in their pledges. I've seen staff members sacrificially give in the coming year pledges on top of tithes. I mean, like, they don't even know where the money's coming from. They're like, I think that check we could use, we'll just give 100% of that check away. I've seen crazy stuff. I've seen people who have not a year to do the Purple Book, but a month, and they're doing it. The down payment on this building is $68,000. The seven pledges I have from staff and one other is $17,000. That's exactly one-fourth with seven pledges. And if I could tell you some of the radical backstories that lead up to that, well, I'll just share one. Uh, Philip has decided to sell his doll collection from when he was uh, a child. Uh, Now listen, don't sell your kids. Just hear the peace of the Lord. Watch this video. Be prayerful. We can pass out some of the pledge cards for those who don't have it. Just be prayerful and peaceful and joyful as you watch this video, and then Philip will come up and close. We have a great new opportunity in front of us here at the Springs. But as we go into this, I want to first look back on what God has done in the last seven years of our church. We've seen dozens of families intimately united with Jesus and in His plan to be fruitful in their homes. We've seen hundreds of young students literally plucked from the grasp of the enemy, won to Christ, and launched into their destinies. In our Sunday services, we have shuffled from place to place on the campus, back in the community, back on the campus, and now here, in the last two years, renting in this building in our community. And in doing so, we've been positioned to meet real human needs in an unexpected way, like in times of flooding, bringing joy to the hopeless, bringing treasure to the impoverished, and watching God do extraordinary things amidst the unexpected. Now, we have an opportunity to buy this building that we've been renting for the last two years, rooting ourselves deeper here. And let me remind you of the basic deal that's before us. We can purchase this building at 58% of its appraised market value. And in addition to purchasing this building, we're pre-approved for a loan that will also allow us to make significant improvements in our kids' space, our building security, our roofing, our HVAC, and improvements in the sanctuary. Plus, we would instantly step into hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity in a central part of this town that's being revitalized right now as we speak. And we will be a beautiful frontage for much of the social and entertainment life in this city. If we garner a down payment of $68,000, we will close at the end of this year on a loan that will be repaid starting next year at monthly rates that are under 70% 
of our current monthly building expenses. Now this roots us deeper in this community and leaves us more resource to invest in missions onto the campus, the community, and the world. It's a good business deal for our church. But ultimately, why should we do this? Why do I believe God is moving us to seize this opportunity right now? Well, you might be surprised when I tell you that I have no new catchy vision for why we should purchase this building right now. As it relates to our prevailing calling for what we are to do in and from this city, I have one word to describe why we should buy this building now in the seventh year of our fruitfulness here in this church. That one word is more. More. More Jesus. More people growing in being his disciples. More families. More fishers for men. More generosity. More devotion. More relational bridges. More sacrificial service in difficult places. More of the miracles in human lives like what we've already seen. More fruit. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God for what more you can do to be a part of the more things happening in our midst. Don't give to me. And don't just give to this church either. Ask God how he's helping you to be a part of this in giving. And then just write down what he says. And don't wait. Do it right now. Write down what he says to give on one of these radical pledge cards. Now, I've asked God to provide. I've asked him for $68,000. But I have asked him for so much more. I want to see at least 40 or 50 of these cards turned back in. I want all of us to be a part of this. I have asked him to, to start new growth groups out of this. I want to see a handful of people choosing to finish the Purple Book. Joining new small groups for the very first time. Fasting and praying for the first time ever. I have asked God for a radical expression of more of what we've already seen. But I've surrendered my request to him. And I, in peace, am trusting him. And I pray for the same peace to be upon you right now. So ask him. And then when you've written down what he's said to do, Follow through with it as unto the Lord. If you are led to give $20,000, do it in faith. If you are led to give $20, do it in faith and enjoy. And we will celebrate everyone who is giving what they can and no more. We just want to be together with God through a mutual offering to see more of the same things that he's already done in human lives. And with him, beloved, your best is more than enough to work with. So I pray that this current opportunity is something that we will all look back on 30 years from now and celebrate that this moment was a radical milestone. So don't just consider helping me a little bit with my request. Move with us now in following God into something radical in all of us. All right, church, that's the purpose. Here's how you do it. Take your radical pledge card and complete the bottom portion of the card by committing to at least one item per category. Fill out this card and submit it to us at the Connections table by November 15th. If you've not received a card, please get one from us at the Connections table or visit us at springstx.org radical. 
If you've decided to give a gift, please submit it on or before December 11th. We appreciate if you submit those gifts by cash or check only with the memo line Radical. Then on December 11th, we'll be hosting an exciting celebration of what God has done in this Radical series and in our church this year. That's Friday, December 11th, right here at the church at 7 p.m. You won't want to miss it. Thank you so much for participating in this series.